Welcome to the Markle Retail Podcast, Season 5, Episode 18, presented by Marketile. I'm Michael LeBlanc. And I'm Steve Dennis. Well, Steve, greetings from the Muskoka Cottage region, a couple of hours north of Toronto, where it is freakishly warm. 19 today, that's about uh, 66 for my American friends. I was worried I didn't have time to put my snow tires on yet, so I, I, <laughs> I, I sound a bit different on the mic, and B, uh, you know, global warming. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know if it's global warming related, but we uh, we may be dodging some tornadoes here in North Texas shortly. So hopefully we'll we'll get the episode in before I, I need to head down into the bunker. Well, if I hear you clicking your heels, I'll know that uh, the tornado was near. So uh, we'll just... We'll just I'll, I'll try not to call you Andy M. Uh, and on this episode, we're back in Vegas uh, at the NAC show in the Marketile Podcasting Studio with an exclusive interview with Kara Keating. Chief Customer Officer, Frito-Lay North America, and her counterpart on the beverage side, Chad Matthews, Chief Customer Officer at PepsiCo Beverages North America. Yeah, it was fun to talk to them, uh, both because of the content. Well, maybe three things, really, because it's mm. always three things. Mm-hmm. The content, I thought was super, super interesting, uh, and they were great guests. Secondarily, we don't talk too much to CPG brands mm-hmm. on the podcast, so that's mm-hmm. a little bit of a twist, still within the broader context of retail, obviously. And we did this with kind of an audience because we were there in the Market Dial studio on the floor mm-hmm. and we had quite a lot of people staring at us. So the, the <laughs> pressure was on. I, I think we pretty much nailed, you know, we stuck the landing, but yeah. uh, listeners will have to decide for themselves. Well, we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. It's a very busy news of the week. We're going to start here in Canada with breaking news. Lowe's exits Canada, selling their business for $400 million and a player to be named later to Sycamore Partners. Uh, do you know Sycamore Partners? They've got a whole roster. I, of, I uh, do. Yes, yeah. they've been quite active in retail investing over the years. Well, they've got good experience in Canada because one of their, one of their uh, portfolio companies is Staples, and they've done actually a really good job here in Canada, and I think in the U.S. as well, of, of investing in the brand. You know, not just squeezing the lemons to get some juice out, right? They, they've really put money into it. Anyway, the Lowe's story is pretty epic. I mean, they first came to Canada. They tried to buy a company called about an 83-year-old Quebec-based company called Rona and Renault Depot, but they were left at the altar by the Quebec government the first time around and the Quebec pension funds who did not want a U.S. company buying a Quebec business. So they opened their own. They opened up about 14 locations, including, by the way, a few the Target abandoned, and they bought, they actually bought the, the <laughs> a brand. A bit of irony there. Well, there's a bit of irony. They bought the Target, the newly abandoned Target DC. They built a state-of-the-art DC, so Lowe's just came in and bought it. It was, you know, hard to, hard to kind of pass up. And then they took another run at Rona, and they bought them for about $2.4 billion in 2016. What, what is it about U.S. companies that can't, can't get the Canadian market right, though? On the whole, the markets are very much more similar than different. I mean, you can, I can name you know, Home Depot, uh, Walmart, Costco, many, many companies that are very successful here, and, and a few that, that haven't been targeted. Uh, there's no, uh, Sam's was here briefly, but uh, exited the market. Sometimes I think they underestimate the complexity of the market, you know, two languages, vast nation, uh, very complex buying Rona because of their Quebec roots. Uh, and they're, you know, it's a multifaceted business with, you know, I have a little Rona right near me. It's a little small store. I mean, it's a very complex business. And listen, Home Depot has been here for a long time and very entrenched and also very entrenched with the, with the contractor. So I don't know, maybe, I don't know, maybe a bit of hubris thinking, hey, we're Lowe's. We, we can figure this out and it's just across the border. And how hard can this be? I think, I think sometimes that prevails a little bit 
a little bit in their thinking. Um, let's talk about uh, let's get to, let's talk about the economics again. Not an economics podcast, but there's so much economics news coming out, and of course, it's so relevant. Uh, where do we start? Uh, the Fed raises interest rates, and we also have some good job numbers. Uh, we also got this week just quickly the NRF's holiday forecast. Mm-hmm. So they predict that holiday uh, sales, so the month of November and December will grow between 6 and 8% compared to last year. Now, last year, people may remember, was an all-time record year. Uh, it was up, uh, holiday sales were up 13.5% mm-hmm. over the mm-hmm. year before. Now, that was a pretty easy comparison, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that still looks pretty strong, of course. A lot of inflation built into mm-hmm. those those numbers as well. So it's always hard I, I to kind of parse out the particulars. That's a super interesting point because it's 6 to 8%. I mean, overall inflation in the U.S. is closer to 10%. Now, that's very category-specific. Lots more inflation in grocery than there is in apparel, for example. Yes, right. So, you know, parsing that 6 to 8% number to me feels like 1% to 2% of real growth, if that. But, you know, it's, yeah. it's not I going think, backwards. I think best case. The other thing that was a bit concerning was that uh, we keep seeing a lot of profit warnings, even from some companies that posted objectively some pretty good numbers. So Canada Goose, Under Armour, mm-hmm. Etsy, Airbnb, all pretty much had decent quarters, but they all said, eh, you know, the, the party's mm-hmm. over here for us and mm-hmm. we don't expect things to be very good going into, uh, into the next quarter in the next year. Uh, and of course, I pay a little more attention to Canada Goose. And um, it, what was interesting is they called their numbers down based on China, not based on North American sales. Like they were expecting bigger right. things in the Chinese market that uh, that are not happening. You know what? I had an interesting conversation with a retail CEO yesterday, and uh, he made the point that it's actually getting a little easier to hire tech people. Retail for their his retail tech is very tech oriented business because of all these layoffs. So the VC funded, the private equity funded businesses, you know, they seem to be laying off people but there's still as to a point you made the 1.7 there's plenty of jobs waiting great jobs waiting so it actually may benefit in a roundabout way you know traditional or, or you know forward-thinking retail players who can actually go find the people to fill those jobs because there's plenty of them out there all right let's take a quick walk over to the wobbly unicorn segment what's happening oh it was a pretty ugly week i have to say not not too surprisingly but two of the biggest uh, disruptor retail brands, I guess you could say, reported earnings this week. Uh, Peloton, once again, continues to mm-hmm. struggle. Their sales were down a lot year over year. Their users were down year down year over year, though up a little bit compared to the last quarter. A bit of good news, their margins are improving. And uh, they managed to lose, quote-unquote, only $409 million in the quarter. I guess you'd say it's only because it's a lot less than they lost uh, the quarter before. Yeah. Uh, the CEO, who I guess you have to be a pretty um, glasses half full guy, I guess, to, mm-hmm. to be running that company, said that their turnaround is ahead of schedule. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Uh, and you know, and to be fair, they've got a lot going on with their new yeah. wholesale partnerships, and they're doing this thing with Hilton, where they're going to have Peloton mm-hmm. bikes. So mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of changes going on, and you got to pull out of the dive, obviously, yeah. uh, before you can start to to turn things around. So some positive signs, but they are in a very big hole. The stock's down like ninety percent year over year, so that's not not too exciting. And then my favorite whipping horse, Wayfair. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're a big they, Wayfair they, fan. They yeah. reported earnings. Um, I have to say 
that their ability to obfuscate, that's a hard word to say. I think oh, I said yeah, it close to Don't hurt yourself, though. Don't hurt yourself. In their investor presentation is, is very remarkable. I have <laughs> followed them very closely because I've always thought their business model was pretty, pretty questionable. Hmm. And they managed to report uh, in a quarter where they reported sales down, where they lost $283 million in the quarter. That's a negative 10% operating margin. Mm. They lost a million customers. They managed to talk for pretty much their whole investor presentation with only the most optimistic take on everything. Mm. And because I am a bullshit dispelling <laughs> enthusiast, uh, <laughs> I just was like, wow, this is impressive. And then the appendix they mentioned basically, yeah, we lost $280 million in a million customers. So, um, yeah, yeah chutzpah I think is, uh, yeah. sort of the word that I associate <laughs> Now, on the positive side, because uh, uh, I'm a glass half full kind of uh, wobbly unicorn section so positive Canadian. guy. So Canadian. Uh, Adormi gets acquired by Victoria's Secret for $400 million. That's good news, right? Yeah, that was a pretty good exit, I think, particularly given uh, some of the headwinds we see in the space. So Adormi, which is this uh, lingerie brand that's really focused on um, being more inclusive and diverse, as mm-hmm. well as uh, they've employed a lot of technology. Uh, which I think is part of the appeal as well for Victoria's Secret. Yeah, they got bought for about $400 million. I don't think we know too much about mm. how big a brand they are other than they've been growing pretty nicely. Mm-hmm. I think they have maybe 10 stores as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we talked about this sometime earlier that mm-hmm. I think what we are going to see because of what's going on in the in the investor markets and because some of these brands continue to lose a lot of money, I think we will continue to see uh, consolidation so some of these bigger brands picking yeah. up yeah. these these um, you know powerful but relatively small fast growing brands at pretty attractive prices. Uh, you've been uh, visiting some new formats. Let's talk about that uh, JCP Beauty, JCPenney Beauty. That that's in JCP. They're based in Dallas, right? J- they are based in Dallas, right, right. and I went up to the um, uh, Stonebriar Mall in Frisco, Texas, which is close to their headquarters, mm-hmm. and they are rolling out. People may remember that. Sephora is has largely, but continuing to exit JCPenney stores in favor of the Kohl's stores. They, they've just rolled out in, in a few stores and will be expanding it, uh, I think, pretty much chain-wide. Their own concept, kind of a private brand space similar to Sephora, but with their own brands that they've created. Uh, and so it's maybe a 1,000 square feet. And uh, I went to check it out. And I would say that it's very attractively done. Mm-hmm. The product design looks good. Um, this particular store, because it is basically their flagship store close to their headquarters, always mm-hmm. looks much better than the other stores I've been in. So I think it's a great presentation. Um, the only thing I would say about it is there's not a lot of sizzle there. You know, mm-hmm. there's no, you know, just kind of slapping the JCPenney, JCP name on a section uh, with a bunch of brands, to me, is not really creating a lot of uh, kind of an emotional connection mm. to the products they sell. And beauty, of course, is a pretty yeah. emotional category. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, well executed in many respects in terms of, you know, presentation and whatnot. But I- I'm not sure from a branding standpoint, it's got, mm. it's got a lot that's really remarkable. But uh, anyway, that is a new initiative from them and something certainly to, to watch because they've got a lot of work to do to, you know, it's an important category for any department store, and uh, they've certainly lost some of the differentiation they had there with the Sephora brand. Hey, Steve, are you a Frank Sinatra fan by any chance? Well, it turns out I am. 
Well, start spreading the news. We're coming to town, strapping on vagabond shoes. I want to wake up in a city that never sleeps. King of the hill, top of the heap. Well, that's right. We're actually heading to the NRF Big Show in New York in January. In addition to meeting with and interviewing our top retail leaders in the industry in the Market Dial Booth podcasting studio, we will be on stage with Gretchen Gantz, Senior VP of Strategy and Analytics from the most remarkable container store. So see us live in person Monday, January 16th at 1230 on Expo Level 3, Expo Stage 3. For Shift Happens, Choose Remarkable or Irrelevant, brought to you by Market Dial. All right, well, welcome to the Remarkable Retail Podcast. Chad, Kara, Kara, you and I have talked before on the Food Professor Podcast. It's great to meet you in person. Chad, you as well. Thanks for joining us here. Yeah, no, great thank you. Great to be you. here. Thank yeah. you. Well, it's an exciting. I don't know about you two. My head's on a swivel at this conference. Like, it's so, like, it's a bit of sensory overload. I visited your, uh, your fantastic presentations. So much going on all the time. Thanks so much for taking the time to sit down and chit and chat with us. So, let's dive right in. And I'm going to ask you a little bit about what your role is and describe your role. I, as I understand, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. Kara, why don't you kick us off? Tell us what you, uh, what you do for a living. Sure. So my name is Kara Keating, and I'm the Chief Customer Officer for Frito-Lay U.S. I am new in role in the last couple of months. Previously, where I knew you, Michael, was uh, in Canada, where yeah. I led the Canadian foods business, Frito-Lay and Quaker. So I've been with PepsiCo for 18 years, and if you think about my role as the food side, that is the other side of the coin with Chad in the beverage side. Right. And Chad, so talk about the beverage side. It's expansive, lots of different brands. Tell, tell us yeah. more. Yeah, that's great. No, so I'm the uh, chief commercial officer for Pepsi Beverages North America, yep. and I've been in the company 24 years. Uh, I've actually been in roles, leadership roles across both foods and beverages. And in my current role, I lead our commercial and our national uh, customers along with our go-to-market revenue management and industry relations. So eight, right. 18 and 24, so long-serving, right? Is that typical for the organization, or do people come and stay, and, and uh, it's a great place to work, clearly. You've both been there, spent a great career there. So, Kara, what do you think? It is typical. We do have a lot of employees with a lot of tenure, and because of the size and scale of our business and we have the foods and the beverages, it creates mm. a lot of growth opportunities right. for people in their careers. Right. And that growth opportunity was presented to you recently. Was that something, I'm just curious, was that something you sought out or something presented? How does it work at, at PepsiCo? Like uh, you said, listen, you're on for the next step and here's a menu of opportunities. How did, how did that transpire? It's always a little bit of uh, the capabilities and experiences that you're looking for timed with the opportunity of those roles coming up. Right on. And so for myself, I was open to an experience outside of Canada, mm. and this came up, and so it's been an exciting journey so far. Fantastic. Now, I heard it was your childhood dream to be in Plano, <laughs> Texas. That's not true? Well, All right, well, we got bad let me get through from... our first winter, and then I'll <laughs> let you know. <laughs> Well, I, having having moved from Chicago to Dallas, I can tell you the first winter is a different ex, different and better experience. But anyway, well, so obviously PepsiCo is a huge company. I continue to be surprised by which brands I learned that you guys actually own or have launched or whatever. But maybe, I don't know, Kara, maybe you can just give us kind of good, a quick flavor of the scale and scope of PepsiCo. But maybe more in particular, what you think makes PepsiCo as a company unique in in the food and beverage world. You bet. So PepsiCo has one of the largest food and beverage portfolios in the industry. And one of the things that makes us unique is the amount that we invest into innovation. And so we see that as a a growth driver and fuel for our retailers to help drive growth together. So we invest a lot in innovation. Mm -hmm. 
And Chad, it, do you have a perspective on like how, how you think about, and I don't know if it's different across the divisions, but when you think about innovation, you know, what does that mean? What's the process? What informs the, the kind of innovation choices you're making? Yeah, for sure. So innovation is always consumer-centric. So we always start with the consumer in mind to develop our innovation to meet those consumer demands. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like Kara said, innovation is a, a core tenet to our growth. Um, and what we, we want to do is delight our consumers every day and grow our categories for our retailers. And, you know, we feel very proud of how we bring innovation to life. It's a core tenet when you think about you know, the most successful retailers usually bring our portfolio of innovation to life. And we use a lot of analytics uh, to help our retailers as well with the assortment to complement that innovation mm-hmm. as well. So we have a, a lot of data and analytics that uh, we use to, you know, segment shoppers and, and make sure that we have our portfolio in the right places of where the consumers would expect to find it. And has that changed over the years? I, I worked in CPG a million years ago. And, uh, you know, there was all sort of the standard research techniques, but obviously a lot's changed uh, over time. I'm just kind of curious how and if uh, the innovation process is, how it's evolved, I guess, is a better question over the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely more consumer-centric. And we actually use a lot more data and analytics. So we have a a data engine uh, backed by data science called PepViz. And that actually helps us inform what innovation that we help launch and where we launch it and how we launch it. And so, so can you give us a little color about how that, how that works? Yeah, sure. So uh, PepViz, uh, it's once again data science. We also have experts in the industry that leverage this with our retail partners to bring innovation to life. And w- what I mean by that is we, we really look at how we bring innovation to life on shelf, how it complements the current portfolio, and how it stands out to the consumer to bring new and excitement to the category. And do you, Kara, maybe for you, and, and, and if there are some differences across, I guess, the approaches in the division, that would be interesting. But is that, are you doing a lot of prototyping? Is there, you know, what, what does that look like in, in practice? Yeah, you bet. If you want to start with a piece of innovation, you'll probably start with 100 plus ideas mm-hmm. and then figure out how you're going to take that to get some consumer research behind it and scale your ideas down until you get to about 10. And then you'd start to really prototype um, virtually to mm-hmm. get that again in front of consumers and get some really great feedback before we decide what we're actually going to launch. Yeah, and I imagine it's much more like what you can do visually today is quite a bit, you know, before you had to like, you know, set up the whole thing in, in store. Now you can do a lot more through renderings and, and that sort of uh, technique. Yeah, interesting. Uh, so I'm enjoying a very nice uh, new fresh flavored Dorito here today. Tell me about this chip and tell me about how something like this comes to be. It's a great pro- flavor profile, but, you know, as Steve's saying, as an organization, you basically have unlimited resources relative to many. That doesn't mean you throw money around. So, you know, what's the journey of a, a product like this? Is it a year? Is it two years? How do, where does it start? Well, I see you've been at our PepsiCo booth. You've got the snacks. <laughs> Bite <laughs> and great. smile, You're enjoying Bite them. and smile. Very good. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the great things about this show is is connecting with people and the product. Mm-hmm. And so we've hosted a lot of people who've got to try the innovation. So what you're trying is um, part of our... Good. <laughs> good. Glad you like, I like it. it. So we're going to take a pause yeah. for a snack yeah. break here, actually. Yeah. Really now good. a word from our sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. So what you are tasting is some of the new flavor trends. Mm. So we know that consumers like spicy foods, but this is adding a bit of a tanginess to mm-hmm. it. So with Doritos Barbecue, you'll taste a sweet and tanginess to it, and that's coming to life for you in that chip. Chad, let's talk about the convenience store industry. I mean, it's a massive conference here. I imagine it's a very important segment as segments kind of lay out in your world, both of your worlds. Talk about what excites you about what's happening in the convenience store category. Well, in the convenience channel, it's dynamic right now, and a lot of things are shifting. The shopper behavior is shifting. When you think about, you know, probably we had a lot of retailers that I would talk to early in the year that was very nervous about the economy with gas prices going up. Historically, that would equate to traffic going down in the convenience channel. But what I tell you, what's exciting about it is it didn't. It actually grew throughout the summer. And this channel is dynamic right now because of there's a lot of kind of channel blurring that's happening. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have convenience channel competing for food service with the quick serves of the world. Right. Uh, Omni channel is really pre- prevalent in grocery, but now becoming really prevalent uh, with convenience channel. Say, say more about that. What do you mean? So, uh, ordering online, uh, where... You know, on a convenience uh, channel, there's a lot of now new technology that enables people to order online and get deliveries mm. uh, within, you know, an hour or two. Mm. And uh, and so those platforms are really getting built out right now and starting to scale across the channel, which is exciting. Is that an opportunity you both see for your products, the kind of omni-channel, or is this through their vendor partners? I mean, you know, 10 years ago, if we were sitting here, maybe even 20, we were talking about going direct. Mm. You know, that was a big talk amongst, well, if I can, I should. But we all know... That's much, much easier said than done, and it's not always the right thing to do, particularly in products like yours. Talk about how you think about it. Kara, talk about how you think about that. Yeah, absolutely. We want to be where the consumer wants to purchase the product, when they want to purchase it, and how they want to purchase it. And so we are much more versed in that pre-shop, and they might be doing that part online. Then they may have a combination of being in-store or purchasing products online. And then their post-shop, they may be doing different things and interacting with social media in different ways with the Mm. brands. Mm. So it's really evolved, and we want to be and partner with our retailers in all of those locations. We also have our own direct consumer business called Snacks.com mm. um, that we've also dabbled in, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And but it is, you know, it's not easy to create scale, even for a business of your size, right? Even even for a business of your size. And I guess the objective is one plus one equals three, right? You, what you're trying to do is have both, let's call it wholesale or distribution plus whatever direct looks like, right? Mm-hmm. We're really trying to build those capabilities across the entire omni-channel. So that's how we talk and interact with consumers to also how we go to market and mm-hmm. deliver our products at the end of the day, whether it's to a retail store or a location. Right. And, and Chad, you talked about um, the changing nature of consumption. Like We were all a little bit surprised at how it didn't change in the same direction it would have historically. Uh, we've been talking to some folks here, and they've been telling us that, well, maybe the convenience store lost off in a bit of the breakfast day part because people are working from home, but they're making it up as if people want to go for a break or they are having dinner. Is that what you're seeing as well? And coordinating your efforts against different day parts that you wouldn't conventionally have thought for, for the yeah, channel? Yeah, absolutely. Day parts are critical. And we did see a drop-off uh, in the day parts uh, on the breakfast occasion, but I think those are getting made up in the other mm-hmm. parts of days uh, of the day occasions that occur in lunch and, and after kind of the dinner. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, we, we have a portfolio that has a wide range that plays across breakfast past dinner, and uh, we haven't seen a whole a big slowdown in, mm. in our portfolio across those day parts, which is exciting. And, and when 
the convenience store folks are sitting in front of you, what are their key issues that they, they need help with? Like, I, I, as I understand, you've got a convenience store, you've got some very big, large players, you've got a lot of very small players. You need to be there for both of them, right, Kara? How do you think about that? Retailers are trying to win the trip. So get the consumer into their store, and then once they're in their store, satisfy the needs that they're looking for. So whether it's the day part, mm-hmm. and you know, really make it a you know one-stop shop for them. Whether it's a fill-in, whether it's grabbing lunch, whether it's in the morning getting your coffee and a cookie, for example, whatever it is. Sure. A break from the home office, right? And yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, and I would also add, you know, with the inflation that's occurred, mm. uh, you know, retailers are, are very, and, and so are we, passionate about growing units. So we really need to continue to uh, find ways as the basket is bigger mm. and it's still driving growth. But we really need to get back to driving units, uh, which is a core tenant to, to be growing your business to make sure it's healthy. And that's kind of the idea that more volume solves a few sins of profitability. You, you raise the volume up and everything stays. You can you get your, right. your profitability for you and the channel, right? Cool. Absolutely. So let's look forward to the future a little bit. I don't know if both of you just maybe to weigh in on this. Is you... Think about what you need to understand, what you need to make sense of, whether that's from the consumer standpoint, whether it's from your partner standpoint, technology standpoint. How how do you go about doing that? I think our audience would love to hear a a little bit about what that product, because you guys are so good at it, obviously. You've got this machine of creating innovation for for decades, I guess, at at this point. How do you go about doing that? Kind of paint a picture for, for those inputs in that process. Yeah, so there's probably a couple things that come to mind. It's a collaboration uh, between us and, and our retail partners on the problems to solve. And I think we always go about it with uh, a framework of you know, product innovation, getting it faster to the market. Uh, we also look at stronger data and insights uh, to inform you know, the next, next best action. And then I think we also have a, a commitment to sustainability and social mm-hmm. responsibility mm-hmm. that is playing a much bigger part in the retail landscape uh, to help drive growth. Yeah. So we call that PEP positive, and that's really <laughs> our end-to-end journey for um, positive action for the planet and mm. people. Mm. And we want to partner with our retailers to bring that to life in different ways. So, for example, we have a Cheetos program called Dea Doea, which focuses, essentially that translates to make your mark. And how can we help Hispanic communities with the donation of money and funds and in-store programs to amplify voices? So that would be an example of where we're trying to partner with our retailers to bring things that help our planet and communities to life. And how do you, you know, we, we, this has come up a bunch of times on the podcast, you know, lots of, I mean, most companies now are talking about being good and have been in some cases for a long time, talking about being good corporate partners, but a lot of times, you know, the healthier choice, the more sustainable choice, whatever it is, is more expensive. Either the consumer has to pay a higher price or there's a profit impact. How, how do you weigh weigh that? Is it a, an ROI calculation? Is it good business? Is it a, it's just the right thing to do? I mean, it just seems like there's a lot, you know, if we're honest, there's just a lot of pressure to, to, to balance those things. Is there any kind of inkling you can give us to how you, how you guys are solving for that? Yeah, I think we've put a stake in the ground that it is the right thing to do, and our pet positive brings that to life. And there will be a cost component, so we have to find other ways to offset those costs. Some of it isn't necessarily a cost component, so as we reduce sodium in products, for example, it takes a lot to innovate and make sure that we get the right flavor because yeah. people still want yeah, yeah, snacks yeah. that taste good. Right. Um, but otherwise, that would be fairly cost neutral. 
versus other things are huge investments in terms of um, finding new and different packaging solutions for the future, mm-hmm. um, offsetting you know carbon emissions in different ways. So it is a big investment, and we are committed to it. All right. Well, listen. It's been so fascinating. Thank you both so much. I imagine you're like super busy. You've been running off your feet, meeting with all kinds of important people. We want to thank you so much for joining us on the Remarkable Retail Podcast. Kara, it's such a treat to meet you in yeah, person. Yeah, to see you again. We had to go to Las Vegas to do it. Um, <laughs> but maybe we'll connect again. And Chad, uh, and both of you, congratulations on your success, continued success. And once again, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. It was really great. Thank you. Great to be here. If you like what you heard, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, your favorite podcast platform, so you can catch up with all our great interviews, including Hal Lawton talking about Tractor Supply's remarkable Life Out Here growth story. New episodes of Season 5 presented by Market Dial will show up each and every Tuesday. Be sure to tell your friends and colleagues in the retail industry all about us. And I'm Steve Dennis, author of the best-selling book, Remarkable Retail, How to Win and Keep Customers in the Age of Disruption. You can learn more about me, my consulting, and keynote speaking at stephenpdennis.com. And I'm Michael LeBlanc, consumer retail growth consultant, keynote speaker, and producer and host of a series of retail trade podcasts, including this one. You can learn even more about me on LinkedIn, and you can catch up with Steve and I in person at the NRF Big Show in New York, January 16th on the stage, talking about what it takes to be remarkable with Container Store SVP Gretchen Gantz. See you in New York, everyone.